the way things are going, it might just be the month of May exclusively for Alex Polo. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 442 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I'm your friendly neighborhood host, Dre Harrison. I also love that we're actually recording of our cameras on a riverside for the first time in a while, and RJ is already posing 90 seconds in. I love this man. May he never change. Um, but uh, welcome to a very special edition of Motorsport 101. We call it the month of May edition. Because we're kind of combining two elements into one here. We had a we had a creative meeting, a meeting of the minds, and uh, we decided, hey, we could do a uh, race exclusive, uh, do a race review ex- exclusively on Indianapolis's road course race. But there was actually so much crossover between the winners and losers of those races and the drama regarding them. We thought, why don't we just mash it all into one and just call it the month of May edition? And it worked out quite nicely. Uh, just, a, just a two-man booth on this occasion. Joining me on this week's show is Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, RJ. Hello. Glad to be joining us again. Glad to be working my, remotely working my third Indianapolis 500. Mm. I've been to the Speedway on a number of occasions, and I would love to be there for the 500. Just wasn't in the cards this year. However, uh, by the time you're listening to this, uh, you may be hearing me on Motorsport Commentary uh, very soon. Uh, Tell us more. Yeah, um, I'll be part of the team broadcasting the Fuji SuperTech 24 Hours. This is the longest race of the Super TIQ series. This is the first time that this race has ever been broadcast from flag to flag, from start to finish in English. Uh, I'll be part of the broadcast team over at twitch.tv slash motorsportjapan. Check that out. The race starts... Saturday morning, uh, UK time, uh, will run until Sunday. That is, so that's 3 p.m. Uh, Japan time. He's and doing I believe, the math in his head. <laughs> and, um, uh, you can hear me typing as I, I yeah, it starts 7 a.m. British time there for you, you folks out in the UK. Uh, if you want to tune in, we're gonna have friends of the podcast like Yen Sabat is going to be part of the team as well. We There's some other big surprises as well, but. I think you'll have a fun time, especially if you're coming off watching a pretty fun Nurburgring 24 Hours, which gave us a great winner, Frickadelli Racing Team. Yeah. Uh, Klaus Abelin's team, of course, Klaus, the husband of the late, great Sabina Schmitz. Uh, their team finally wins it overall for the first time. The first non-German car to win the race in 21 years, which I thought was pretty cool. It was part of a big weekend of motorsport, but like, well, we we got to get through Indy first because a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, it's like, it's like it was a big weekend, but also kind of a short weekend because we didn't have Imola to go through. But it actually opened doors up to for a lot of people to watch other things like this Nurburgring Red 24 Hour Race, which I very much enjoyed. So uh, thanks to shout out to our Discord member, Sasha Wagonblast, who streamed the whole thing on our Discord server. Um, his, his computer is currently begging for mercy, but we were very grateful for the service. Um, <laughs> popped out for popped out for the very end to go watch some soccer team uh, win a championship or something. Yeah, apparently he's a big Man City fan. Apparently they have fans, who knew? Um, but uh, yeah, oh, we're going to get some emails. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, look, look. 
They've won their fifth title in six years. They'll be they'll they'll, they'll live. Um, I just, at least I get the impression that they'll live anyway. Um, but yeah. Now, if you're, now if you're now if you're an invested supporter of a team that's in the relegation battle. <laughs> bit tense on that one um for those who may not know ruby acosta who we had on the show last month for long beach big leeds united fan <laughs> bit tight <laughs> just to say the least it's, 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 it's gonna go down to the last day um this weekend in the premier league leicester city already in danger anyway enough of our uh, enough of premier league 101 dre <laughs> tell us where you can find more about motorsport 101 you can. You find it on our website, motorsport101.com, for all of our episodes and some extra written content from yours truly. I broke convention for the first time ever. I did a Dre's Race Review on qualifying itself, which I was very emotional about because like, this is this is genuine. Like, Indy 500 qualifying is genuinely my favorite weekend of the year in motorsport. It is so intense, so dramatic, so emotional. And this again, this turned up to 11 because we we got 34 entries so we had a bump day um something that you know we we weren't sure was even going to happen uh and until maybe six weeks out so um mm-hmm. yeah so indy final qualifying is is dramatic enough the fact we had a bump day on top of that for sunday was incredible and hell even the saturday was full of drama no the, the fight for the 30th spot was insane was insane as well <laughs> that's right and uh i will tell you something the last minute entry that showed up as a spoiler to what we're going to be talking about next if you haven't heard already that was not the car that was in danger by the time we got to the last chance qualifying session <laughs> indianapolis 500 qualifying is special it's a rarity that you don't see in any other form of motorsport because nascar Every full-time team and driver is guaranteed to start every race because they paid millions and millions of dollars for a charter that says we are guaranteed to start every race. Mm. At the 24 hours of Lamont, it is invitation only, and every full-season WEC entry is already guaranteed an entry. And Formula One, well, they're never going to welcome any sort of expansion, let alone enough to 26 cars, let alone enough to 28 to, to, (laughs) to actually force us to have qualifying for grid spots for the first time since 1994. Not a hope in hell. You've got a better chance of me marrying Rihanna. Uh, than than Formula One going to 28 cars anytime soon. Not happening, not a hope in hell. So if you want some bonus words from me on all of Indy 500 qualified, including uh, I'd call my alternative preview of the entire grid, because there is some incredible stories up and down, which we'll talk about over the course of the next hour or so. Um, You can check that out as well as just the sheer emotion about the person who got bumped. I'm not going to spoil it just yet for those who haven't checked, checked it out or seen the news. But safe to say, it was emotional. Very emotional. It was a bloodbath for one team in particular. I'll give you a hint. We'll talk about them in about half an hour's time. Um, But if you want some extra thoughts from me on that, you can check all of that out on the blog section of motorsport101.com. Again, if you really like our content and you want to back us financially, you can. Patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Very grateful for that as well. If you want to follow us personally on Twitter, you can at Dre underscore WTF1, at RJ O'Connell, and our podcast itself at motorsport underscore 101. All our social media is also on the website as well, so you can check all of that out if you get a chance as well. So... Let's combine the month of May. So what we're going to do here is we're going to talk a little bit about the Indy GMR Grand Prix, the Indy road course race we got last week, and, of course, Indy 500 qualifying into one month of May combined special. So let's get into it right now. 
And, well, it's hard not to talk about the last two weeks in IndyCar without talking about Alex Pillow. And, uh, holy shit, he might just be the hottest man in the entire series right now. He is white hot. Last week at the GMR Grand Prix around the Indianapolis Road Course, Pillow hammered the field with a triple primary tire run to win by 15 seconds ahead of Pado Award and Alex Rossi, with pole sitter Christian Lingard fourth in RLL's best result of 2023. Uh, remember that, it becomes important later. Also, I love Zoe in the chat that says, he is that wholesome bitch. Um, so, which... <laughs> If the boot fits, what can I say? Uh, Then he continued his incredible run of form by qualifying on pole for the 107th Indy 500. He had a 235 mile an hour lap at the front of his run en route to a 234.217 average, a new pole position record, which eclipsed teammate Scott Dixon's incredible 2022 run remember that one the one we streamed on twitch the (laughs) one where i gave him a stand innovation and knocked over my own gaming chair that run three people beat that more on that later um in fact the entire front row did with renas vk and felix rosenquest all going over 234.1 miles an hour in their runs the fastest front row ever and the fastest field in the history of the indy 500 but it's Polo starting up front and going into the race as the 11-2 bookies' favorite to win the Indy 500. So, RJ, do you agree? Is Polo the favorite to win this race? I know momentum is kind of a uh, nonsense term when we talk about (laughs) sporting achievements, but this guy now looks like he can do the double. He can sweep the whole weekend, just like Simon Pagano did in 2019. Mm. Remember when Pagano won a very wet Grand Prix, won yeah, the pole position, I? and then fought tooth and nail with Alex Rossi in the final laps to win the Indianapolis 500? 2019. It's got to be Polo, who took the championship lead with that uh, with that win in the GMR Grand mm. Prix. Just a perfectly executed uh, race of driving ability and also strategy from the Ganassi team. The GMR Grand Prix, for those of you who don't know, is a race where typically teams will spend most of their time running on the red sidewall alternate tires. They're going to run one stint on the primaries and discard those as soon as possible to get on the soft tires because those were typically the tire of choice. But for whatever reason, the black sidewall primary tires, the harder compound tire, became the tire of choice. And that was something that Ganassi reacted to very, very quickly and helped them get out ahead of Christian Lundgaard and stay ahead of Christian Lundgaard, whose team, for whatever reason, just never reacted quickly enough. And to be fair, some drivers were able to run multiple stints on alternate tires and make it work. Both the McLaren drivers, Award and Rossi, for instance. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, Lundgaard's didn't. Polo just had the right strategy, and he drove spectacularly. I would say this was the most impressive road course performance that he has put in, but then I remember what he the, the hammer job that he put on the field at Laguna Seca. Alex Polo wins nothing but bangers. He does. I mean, he, that was that Laguna Seca race, he won by 30 seconds. This was somehow a more modest 15. Um, <laughs> and, and the guy that was second that day came from the back of the field to do it. Uh, it, it was it was a wild time. And look, RJ is absolutely right. Like, uh, Alex Pillow, 
I, when I wrote about him on the website last week, I compared him to Snooker's Ronnie O'Sullivan. And that I don't that's praise that doesn't come lightly from me because if anyone knows their snooker, they'll tell you Ronnie O'Sullivan is the greatest snooker player of all time. He's a transcendent star for what he's done for the game of snooker. And he he has fans all over the world for what he's done for the game. And part of that is because he is the most incredible front runner in in snooker, i.e. if he gets two or three frames ahead of you, chances are he's probably already won. And that's Polo. You give him a clear. You give him a clear field in front of him. You you can't beat this man. He like, I've I called him a sorcerer many times because of how he undercuts people into oblivion. This time he had the front of the field, and I, I described the race as bullying. He bullied Christian Lungard. That's what it was. Like, and this is no disrespect to Christian, who is phenomenal around this course, and. It's, it's it's made a star out of Lungard over the last two seasons and change he's been in IndyCar. But it was bullying. He, 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 he pushed the pace on the primary tyre and basically forced Lungard into running alternates. And Lungard just didn't have an answer for him over the course of the race distance. He was the only man to run three primary tyre stints. And it was such an out-there strategy that the AIs that predict IndyCar's strategy on Twitter and social media didn't even acknowledge the possibility of somebody winning this race on three primary tire stints. It was 0%. Polo beat the odds and then some. And it just goes to show you not only that the Chip Ganassi outfit is incredible, but Alex Polo is just him. <laughs> he is him. And I, I, I wrote about it and I, I'll say it again here. Shades of Dario Franchitti. And I, I cannot give him higher praise than that for a man in a number 10 car because he, he's the complete package. What weakness is there in the man's game at this point, RJ? There's really nothing. And that was reinforced in Indianapolis 500 qualifying. And Dre, I'm going to buy something from your portion of the set list. The sure. standard in this qualifying session was absolutely incredible. Can you think back to last year, right? Mm. Scott Nixon averaging 234 miles an hour to win pole position to set a new pole qualifying record that has stood for 26 years. It's not the outright fastest one because that still belongs to Ari Leyendijk. But if you if you know your Indy 500 history, that 236 mile an hour run that Leyendijk posted was not eligible for pole position. So Dixon put together the fastest run to actually win the pole position for the Indianapolis 500. An amazing, amazing run. Alex Pillow, Renus VK, and Felix Rosenquist, all three drivers that start on the front row, broke that in a year. It took 26 years for one person to outdo the late great Scott Brayton's record, and it took mm. one year for three dudes to surpass that. 229.1 didn't make the show. <laughs> That's the standard we were talking about here. Like, 233.1 didn't get you into the fast six. And that was Pato Award on the outside of the bubble. Like, Alex Rossi, we all thought was going get, to get to the fast. He was the last man to run in the one, the last man to run in the fast 12. Didn't make it in on a 233.1 run. That That's how fast this field has become. And not only that, just the standard of driver, where it's now so close that 
a tenth of a mile an hour can determine an entire row. And that's what oh. happened with the front row, who all went over 234.1, which is just, that's otherworldly. I want to put this in a perspective for you. Uh, hmm. When Alex Pillow set provisional pole, he was the third driver to go out in the fastest qualifying session. Hmm. Renus VK was the next man out. He missed pole position by four milliseconds over a four lap, 10 mile run of qualifying around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That is not the that is not the last time I'll mention a margin of four milliseconds because that all because that ended up determining uh, the 33rd starting position. More on that shortly. But uh, this this is the definition of an old phrase I used to say on this show. Remember that it becomes very important later. But uh, yeah, like we had like we had multiple moments where thousandths of a second was determined as well. We had a moment during Saturday qualifying where Tony Kanaan and Ed Carpenter had a perfect tie. (laughs) Now... Just, just to just to stress how much of a unicorn this is. On screen, when you watch qualifying, it goes to three temp, three decimal places of a mile an hour. IndyCar does measure the fourth decimal place in the event of a tie. The fourth decimal place was even. Hmm. <laughs> they had to go back to the old IndyCar. Excuse me, the old Formula One tiebreaker system. They use that. Whoever sets the run first gets priority position. And for a while, that was the difference between making the top 12 qualifying session on Sunday and being locked into the inside of the fifth row. Indeed, yeah. And uh, it was only a very late run from Tony Kanaan of about half an hour to go on the clock that put Kanaan in with a big 233 run right towards the end of the day's play. And he remembered off. to use the restroom before he went out again. Yeah, like he he, he joked. Uh, he, he joked when he saw the tie. He said, well, you know, that's what happens when you don't do the bathroom break. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it really did come down to to grams like i said it, i've you will probably never see that again a perfect tie to four decimal places over a 10 mile 232 and a half mile an hour run at average speed you, you in other words immeasurable by standard by standard timing towers and computers unbelievable scenes and that was barely scratching the surface of some of the drama we got up to here in, in regards to the original question, is Polo favorite to win the 500? He deserves to be. Absolutely. Without question, the way he's driven. And again, Polo's run was was off the charts. We're talking, to, like I said, that, that, we, weren't, we weren't joking. 235 mile an hour first lap. We, we, we were in shock when we watched out on Discord. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. I can't believe I'm about to say this. Felix Rosenquist is going to be a serious dark horse. I, 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 I don't. It's weird describing McLaren as a dark horse when all four of their cars made the fast twelve, but they seemingly lacked the ultimate pace to challenge for pole. Unless you were Felix Rosenquist, who seemed to have a little bit more when it needed. Most of these, I mean, he's already had three runs this week over two hundred and thirty-three point nine which is just ridiculous. And when you watch his run, 
he doesn't drop off as much as, as the other cars around him when they were making runs. It was just he didn't have the ultimate, you know, lap one speed that Polo and VK had on, on their runs, and that was probably the difference maker between him qualifying first and qualifying third, which is amazing to say that Felix Rosenquist has the third fastest qualifying run of all time, and he qualifies third. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. You know, uh, another another note from this, uh, this is the first all-European front row in mm. history. Alex Below from Spain, Renus VK from the Netherlands, Felix Rosenquist from Sweden. And think back to where we were last year in regards to Felix Rosenquist. This man was arguably coming into the Indianapolis 500, racing for his full, for his long-term IndyCar future. Mm. Now you just got to think, boy, McLaren have got to be really silly to let this guy go, which ties us back into a second question that we have. Because when Alex Pillow spoke about his win at the GMR Grand Prix at the Indy Road Course, he was asked how it felt to have McLarens behind him in second, third, and fifth. He said it was way too early to speculate about his future, despite it being perhaps at this point the world's worst kept secret. Pretty much that un unless a cataclysmic chain of events happens, he is going to McLaren permanently and joining them as a free agent in 2024. But with Pillow winning at Ganassi right now, Dre, should he really be walking away from Chip Ganassi racing to go to McLaren? I... Okay, maybe there is one weakness to Alex Polo. Maybe he's too big of an F1 simp for his own good. And I and I, I don't say that to insult the man because, look, he grew up in Fernando Alonso's prime. He grew up in the middle of Spain dominating world sports. If you look beyond F1, Fernando Alonso was winning world championships. The Spanish national football side was winning World Cups and European titles for fun. Rafa Nadal had become the best tennis player in the world. Like they were dominating, you know, MotoGP as well. The second wave of like Danny Pedrosa and Jorge Lorenzo was soon going to come around the corner and take over the two wheel, which is which in Spain is a bigger deal than four wheels anyway. So, you know, we were, we were years away from a Jorge Lorenzo world title. So Spain was putting themselves on the sport map and Polo grew up in all of that it's hard for him not to look at Fernando Alonso and the way he captivated the nation you look at Alonso's fan base now 15 years later 16 17 years later it's still as loud and as vibrant as ever um this is for a man that has not won a race in 10 years in IndyCar it's gonna right. be Formula One He's never won a race in IndyCar. There was one that he almost won, but didn't. And there was one that we all thought he was probably going to win, but then some team showed up with a backup car uh, with a road course uh, transmission mm. and uh, pushed him out of the field. <laughs> didn't go well for the old boy. Uh, apparently, centimeters to inches are, are important when it comes to conversion. And they paid $2 million for the privilege. Yeah. Fernando Alonso's entry was guaranteed to lose money, even if they had won the damn thing. That's nah, but enough know. about this guy. Let's talk uh, about, about Alex Polo. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mentioned this because if you're Alex Polo, who was a teenager slash young child during that time, it would be hard not to be allured by Fernando Alonso becoming the best racing driver on the planet 
and thinking, I want a piece of that life. It's completely understandable. And he's not the only one in this in IndyCar series. We've, it's been well documented in the last 18 months talking about people like Colton Herter um, and, and Pato Award. And Pato is even more open about wanting to drive a McLaren F1 car. You you, you stick him in Wokeham, you put him in, in cars, trying him out, and he beams like a little boy again, even though he's 24 years of age. You know, it's, it's, it's understandable that they grew up wanting to get into this F1 is still by a mile the biggest fish in the pond and us Europeans just don't have that connection to IndyCar that North America does. It's, it's, it's a hard alert, especially because Zach Brown is the only team boss in IndyCar that has the provisions to talk about F1 entries, has the power to be able to do something about that. And I've said it before, F1 team bosses don't generally look across the pond for talent. If anything, it's become the other way around where IndyCar bosses are looking at Formula 2 guys to potentially plug their seats. Um, it's not quite worked the other way yet. And I'm not sure. I'm, I, don't think we're, I don't think we're ever going to go back to those days in the early 2000s when Dixon and Frank Eaty and the matter and other guys got various ranges of F1 opportunity. So if Polo really does want to bet on himself that strongly to think he might get an F1 seat in maybe two or three years' time. Because look, you look at McLaren, they're set driver-wise. Lando Norris is there for at least another two years. Oscar Piastri's just come in and has been at least very solid. Yeah, the problem at McLaren F1 team is not the drivers that they have on hand. Daniel Ricciardo was a wrong fit at the wrong time, one weekend outside, but, you know... The driving talent is not the problem at McLaren. No. Maybe they have a problem later if Lando Norris gets fed up with being the midfield whisperer. Mm-hmm. But that's still a little bit of a ways out. And, and you by still then, hope, yeah. You, by you, then, Alex Pelot will be 29 years old by the time 2026 rolls around. He's a year older than Nick DeFreeze's, and we all thought that was an outlandish, outside-of-the-box debut for him in the first place. And... Like, if you're McLaren, you've got no reason to change drivers right now. Lando Norris is great. Um, and again, he's tied down for two more years. So, like, you, realistically, you would think 2026 is the first year that McLaren would even consider changing drivers unless Piastri is a total bust. And that's not looking likely. Piastri's no. been fine yeah. so far in F1. At the bare minimum, he's, I, think, I actually argue he's been pretty good so far in his, in his rookie season. Um, that's probably the likely the only way Alex Pelot gets into F1. And that's and even that's an outside chance. Would he be negotiating with McLaren right now if there was even the most minuscule, tangible possibility of a Formula One seat? Yeah. Probably not. Because why else would you go to McLaren? Especially a year ago before they had this big free car experiment. Don't get me wrong, McLaren have absolutely made gains. They've definitely improved in IndyCar. They are challenging for wins with more than just one driver now. Pato Award is still as excellent as he's always been. Um, you know, they're, they're working on Rossi and Rosenquist, but they're still... They're still Alexander Rossi is your floor guy right now in terms of your four, your three full-time drivers. Right. Like, McLaren are doing what we were hoping other teams were going to do. They've They've put their money where their mouths are. They've invested into facilities and resources, 
and they're starting to genuinely make inroads into the established big two of Penske and Ganassi. And Panama Ward is the perfect tip at the end of your spear for that because he's been a title contender for three years now. He's been outstanding in IndyCar. I think he's the only younger driver that's in this field that can give Polo something to worry about. That's the problem. And I allude to exactly what I said earlier. Polo is the new Frank Eaty. He can do everything well. There is no discernible weakness for him in that number 10 car at the moment. He can qualify well. He's finished every race so far this season in the top eight. Bulletproof consistency. There is no hole in Polo's game as a driver. IndyCar is such a very disciplined, you know, in terms of what you need to be good at to be able to win. If you can't be good at ovals, you're not going to win a championship in this sport. You know, you have to be good at ovals. You have to be good at road courses. You have to be good on street circuits. You have to qualify well because it's hard to pass in this series. Sometimes it's hard to make big gains from the back of the field a lot of the time. Polo ticks every box. He's and as a driver that Ganassi were searching for. Remember when Dario Franchitti was forced into retirement after that Houston crash in 2013? You think about mm-hmm. all the guys that Ganassi had brought in that they thought would be the heir apparent to Scott Nitson, you know, Sage Karam, for reasons that had not everything to do with his driving, didn't work out. Ed Jones, a rookie of the year in the series that should have been a rookie of the year in the 500, never worked out. Felix Rosenquist, just talked about He was fine in Ganassi, but not a championship contender. He started off kind of slow. He did win yeah. races, but that's not that's not what Polo achieved in his first year at Ganassi. They've been struggling since since the back end of Tony Kanaan's career to feel yeah. to fill that number ten. And Kanaan was fine, but Kanaan was never title contender prime. I'm going to rip your head off, Tony Kanaan. Um, he, he he was a bit more docile, you know, and and he he was fine. It was a fine backup guy to have for Dixon, but if you chip, you want multiple bullets in the chamber. Yeah. And Kanaan wasn't that guy in his mid thirties. Um, Pelo is him. Polo is your dude. That's your guy for the next 10 to 15 years if you want it to be. Like, look, Dixon's days are probably numbered. He's 42 years old. Like, he's, he is a super human driver and one of IndyCar's greatest. He's also 42, and he. I think we're starting to see just a small shred of his decline where maybe we're not talking about him as the undisputed number one guy in the series anymore. I mean, yeah, he only qualified, he only qualified sits for this race. He is absolutely washed up. He can't get it done anymore. He's cooked. And look, now watch him go out and actually win that second 500. Probably will now. now I can say. And, look, <laughs> and, and, you, and you could see that Chip's thinking about the future because Marcus Erickson has been a fantastic floor guy for them. And it's, it's harsh to even call Marcus Erickson a floor guy at this point because he's a top six driver in the series and has been for the last couple of years that's right he's no he shouldn't be the sneaky swede because marcus erickson is about as sneaky as getting a brick thrown at your face he, he, he's too good at this now and look they're thinking about the 11 car now like like it's a bit early to say and i i think they're trying to talk him into doing ovals but marcus armstrong has started his career well in indycar he's had three top 11 finishes to start as a rookie Problematic as he may be, he's a talented driver. There's no question about that. He's hit the ground running in IndyCar. They're thinking about their future. It's looking like Ericsson will stay. That's what Chip's saying. This is a deal is close with Marcus. Whether it be for the 8 or the 10 car remains to be seen. But Chip has openly said on the record, he wants to keep Marcus. 
Dixon's already tied down till the end of next year. Like, they've got to start thinking about the future. And it might be Chip's own stubbornness, as Zoe points out in the chat. If Chip was just prepared to give Polo a bit more money last year, maybe every bit of shenanigans that followed directly after that could have been avoided. Yeah. Maybe Chip maybe Chip didn't even realize how good he was, which is amazing given we're talking about a guy who nearly did the double in 2021 in his second full season. He was half a second away from ensuring that Elio Castroneves did not join the four-timers club two years he was ago. right there. He was right there. And Pato Award was right behind him, ironically. That, <laughs> like, may, be, that may be Pelot's motivating factor, because, like, he is a driver that is absolutely content to be a force in IndyCar for years to come, but I also think he is a driver who feels like, if I don't at least test the waters and see if I can get an, an F1 seat, then I, I won't I won't feel complete as a driver when all is said and done. Now, McLaren have been making those steps forward. Maybe he is looking at the drivers that finished second, third, and fifth behind him in the road course and saying, why can't I help push that forward? Maybe he's looking at guys like Rossi and Rosenquist ending the day number one and number two in day one qualifying and thinking, that may be my best ticket to win the Indianapolis 500 if I'm taking on a Chevrolet-powered engine because for whatever reason, it's not Penske and it hasn't been for a few minutes. That would be the only – yeah, he would still win a championship under those circumstances, but for whatever reason, Penske just – their outright speed has not been there at the 500. I don't know. Maybe they're just paranoid that they think that, like, if Penske owns the speedway that they think they're going to rig the 500 in their favor every year. (laughs) Maybe it's that, but it's been three years plus now. I mean, ever since Pagano's win in 2019, there hasn't really been a lot to write home about. For Penske at the 500 yeah, since then, fine. you know, Pagano, like they're, they're, they're solid midfielders. Pagano had the, had the one podium finish, I think, in 2021. But besides that, like they've had very little to write home about with the 500 since Pagano's outright win um, four years ago. So you, you might be right on that, RJ. You might be right. Chevy has absolutely raised their game on the super speedways. It was like a, I, I remember not too long ago when Renus VK was the only Chevy to make the top 12. They've come a long way, Chevrolet. They've certainly raised their game. They're, like they've, they've flipped the polarity on the makeup of the field um, in that time. And McLaren were the only other team besides, you know, Chip and Foyt, which we'll get to, um, to get all of their cars into the fast 12. Like, it's, uh, and look, we all know we're really here for the 500 as opposed to the yeah. Aster Cup. And McLaren, I mean, Panama Award was one business decision away from potentially winning last year's 500. I, I don't care what you tell me, Pado backed out of that last corner on the final lap. He, I think, I think Pado was thinking championship, and I don't think he should have done that. And I think Pado had a car to win it. And Felix was fourth that day. Let's not forget, Felix was right there with him. Um, Felix Rosenquist saved his job with that drive. 100%. So, needless to say, McLaren might be your best shot in the long run to win a 500 right now. That might be the only... That might be the... It's, a, it's not a bad second reason to have if the number one reason is... 
maybe just maybe I can get an F1 driver. Yeah. Because you, you could drop him in a, in a McLaren F1 seat right now because he has he's super license eligible with that IndyCar series titled in 2021. You could drop him in a McLaren right here and now if you wanted to. And, and I, I'd, I'd have no doubt with proper seat and track time, he'd be excellent in F1. He's that good. I'd, I'd have no question marks whatsoever about dropping him in F1 today. Mm. I do worry, though. It's Chip Ganassi is such a proven entity. It's such a, a powerful team with the best drivers, the best resources. The only guys that, that are challenging Penske year on year in this series across the board. And you saw that qualifying run. Like, it, it was it was remarkable to watch that. And, like, it, it makes you think. Like, it, it's hard to... It's hard to walk away from something that good, surely. You know, I, I think Pelot would be kidding himself if he wasn't at least given given it some second thought because this package is good enough to win anything right now. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. And, you know, I, I go back to your theory that you were talking about offline. If you're Chip Ganassi, how big is the check that you have to write to undo this, to persuade him to stick around? Make it blank. Tell Polo to write the numbers on it. Do what needs to be done because you don't have another surefire star for the next decade in your series than Alex Polo. Dixon's 42. He's on borrowed time. Marcus Erickson is very good. He's maybe not outstanding. He's a fantastic third option. The best third option in the sport comfortably and that, again I, I feel bad saying that about marcus but he's maybe not top tier can win you four races in a title but th- like that's a floor guy like yeah. that's a fantastic it's a it's a floor guy premium it's the best one you can buy oh yeah but he's not alex polo <laughs> like that's chip ganassi spent a decade trying to find their cornerstone of the future He's here. And, and, they might, and he might just walk. He might just walk out. We might get that announcement in a couple of weeks leading up into Detroit that he might walk out. I don't have any inside information on that, but if it goes down the way it did when Alexander Rossi left the only team he ever knew to join McLaren last year, it's a possibility. And then all of a sudden, Chip Ganassi is without the cornerstone of their future Maybe they keep Harrison. It's likely they could, but the, even the possibility that some team could poach him and mm. his sponsorship has oh, got to yeah. be worrying, Sue. Because according to Marshall Pruitt, he's the number one free agent on the board going in going into negotiations this 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 summer. Somebody might write a big check to snag the floor guy to be their team leader. So buckle up. You know this off season is going to be. Like this, this city season is going to be fascinating to see how this because it all stems down to what happens in the ten car, yeah. And you can you can build it from there because you know, like as this Joey points out in the chat, the ten cars up for grabs, the eight car might be up for grabs, the twenty nine Andretti is likely going to be up for grabs. McLaren might go to four. Canamilo is getting a lot of murmurs and whispers about his future if they can rip him out from under Junkos. David Malukas, people are very excited about him. 
Eatman, I, look, I think he could be a bona fide star on and off the track. He's a disgustingly likable and charming young man, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he, he he knows how to wheel it, and he's got the oval. He's got the oval prowess that I don't think we've seen from someone like Lingard yet. That might swing it if you're on that negotiating table. If you're, we, we talked about it after the barber about possibly Malukas or Lingard. You might take Malukas based on the oval prowess. It's it, it could be a clinching argument, and I wouldn't blame you if you went for Malukas over Lingard, even though I think Lingard is a little bit better at the moment in terms of road and street tracks. Depends what your priorities are, I suppose. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a good time to talk about Christian Lungard. And absolutely. well, the story of Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing's month of May so far. Talk about swings and roundabouts. Ooh. I'll give you the good news first. At the GMR Grand Prix, Christian Lungard beat Felix Rosenquist to pole position by just two thousandths of a second, the closest margin in the history of the fast sits format on road and street courses. He converted that into a fourth-place finish. Again, strategy didn't work out, but that seemed to give the team a spark of confidence heading into the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> First of all, Dre, how was how impressive was Christian Lundgaard on the Grand Prix weekend? Superb. You couldn't have asked for more. Like, I, I, was, I distinctly remember the graphic that the IndyCar and NBC pulled up of all the RLR results so far this season going into this round, and then the qualifying results of Indianapolis, because that GMR Grand Prix qualifying, all three RLL cars qualified in the top eight. Ray Hall was the one outside. He, he, he was, because we forget Jack Harvey finished fourth, or qualified fourth. And then Harvey blew his entire race in 15 seconds because he locked, he flat spotted his tires on the first stint going into turn one on lap one. And I was like, Jack, no, uh, uh, that was the one, Jack. That was the one. And I wanted to pull my hair out in frustration at that one. But look, this is a Lingard topic. And I've said it, I said it earlier in the show. He's a superstar around this track. He is one of these European friendly dudes because this Indianapolis is a very European style track in how it gets down. And he's one of these guys like him. I'd say Felix Rosenquest, Jack Harvey, Alex Rossi, guys who seem to have another level in them when this road course race comes around. Grosjean, I'd probably chuck in there as well. Oh, yeah. Um, comfortably and some of the Penske's have completely dominated this race in years Porar, like Will Power and Joseph Newgarden have done so themselves. Oh yeah. But if, if if you if you can win, you often win well on this place. And Lungard, every big like he's had a handful of these now. And to be fair, he's not just an indie road course pleasure. That'd be harsh to just I wouldn't be doing him full justice because let's not forget he finished sixth in Barber the week prior. He was fifth well. at Laguna Seca. That clinched him Rookie of the Year honors over David Malukas in 2022. Yeah, like Lingard is a phenomenal road and street course driver, but if you watched him in Formula 2, you probably already knew that going in because we we joke about the curse of the ART second car and Lingard was hit by that like a truck. Um, you know. I think back to, was it Bahrain F2 2021? Mm. And... Joe Guan Yu, Christian Lundgaard, Oscar Piastri, all scrapping it out for the race win. And Free you just think into and the final were, corner on the yes, final lap. Mm-hmm. And they were all they all ended up being success stories. They all made it to the show 
for companies other than Alpine F1 team. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, that was like, for those who don't know, that feature race in Formula 2 in Bahrain in 2021, the final lap has them free wide. And there's this fantastic shot where the Bahrain TV director pauses on the side-on angle of where the turn one apex is. And you don't know who's going to come into that in, into that turn three complex first. And it's it's Piastri, Joe, and, and Lungard, three wide. And that's, that's the fleet of the Alpine Academy. And none of them ended up in an Alpine. It's amazing how this shit turns out sometimes. But it, it's made us, I mean, look, half a season later, Lungard's making his IndyCar debut under Alpine's permission and he qualified fourth on debut. Finished 12th in the race. First time of asking. First time in an Indy car. Completely yeah. raw. No testing beforehand. Just got in the car and drove the wheels off it. This this man is extremely talented. Extremely. He's yeah. scary good on road and street tracks. He's doing this in spite of driving for RL at the moment, which, spoiler alert, folks, it gets worse. Much worse. Do we want to do we want to just rip the bandaid off? Do we want to talk about the, the do we want to talk about what comes next? Yeah, I think we should. I think I think the time has come. Now the bad news. And holy shit, the most incredible of last chance qualifiers. The four men who didn't make the top 30 automatics and had to go again on Sunday afternoon. Dale Coyne Racing, Stingray Rob, and then all three of the Rahul Letterman, Lanigan Racing full-timers, Christian Lingard, Graham Rahul, and Jack Harvey, fighting for three spots in the 500. All battling for the final, for the final row after not making the top 30. Lingard and Rob were one and done. They did their one guaranteed run, it was good enough to get in. They didn't have to go again. 31 and 32, respectively. Graham Rahal was in the 33 spot with a 229.1 run. Fast forward. There's six minutes to go. Jack Harvey's already gone onto the track just to try and cool his car down for what we thought at the time was one final run. He came up short. 228.8, I think it was, something along those lines. 228.9. He was yeah. at 228.4 on his first run. That was not good enough to make it because he needed to be to 229.1, and he just fell a couple of miles an hour short. Yeah. They're wheeling him back through the garage, having not made it. We're thinking, he's bumped. That's it. It's over. There's still two, there's still two minutes to go. Jack tells his team, can we go again? And at this point, they've got nothing to lose. So why not? So they run him one more time. Two laps into this run, we're thinking he's dead to rights. The way that these tires drop off, the way that the runs have gone at Indianapolis, mostly over the last weekend. We're thinking two laps in, we're thinking he's DOA. This is it. It's over. The average picks back up. He's hit the floor. He actually finds a little bit of time on his third lap. 40 seconds later, Lee Diffie screams, he's in! <laughs> we, <laughs> I, I literally said on the Discord, and pardon my French, he fucking did what? 
<laughs> we 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 all watched in shock. Two twenty nine point one six six by just point zero zero seven of a mile an hour. Jack Harvey bumps out Graham Rahal. We're all in shock. We can't believe it. We knew there was an outside chance that Ray Hall might get bummed, but you don't actually think that Graham Ray Hall, who is one of the better drivers in this series, like, used to be the top Honda in this series not long ago, nearly won this race two years ago, was on the winning strategy when his pit crew screwed up. His teammate, Takuma Sato, won this race three years ago. Graham Ray Hall, with a 229-1, doesn't make the show. And there is an incredible shot from Joe Shabinsky, who one of the fantastic IndyCar photographers, of Ray Hall sat on his number 15 car, broken weight jacker and all, let's, let's not forget, hunched over the side pod in tears. In shock, most likely, from what's just happened, because that was the final run. That was it. Time had expired. Rahul had no chance to reply. He thought he was in. Graham Rahul doesn't make the show. What did you make of the incredible drama and RNL's shocking collapse, RJ? Well, I think... I think it is crazy to think that 30 years ago, Graham's father, Bobby, was not just, you know, a top guy in the IndyCar series. He was the defending three-time series champion, won the race in 1986. Mm -hmm. And so going into the 93 Indianapolis 500, even though he has taken a massive technical gamble, uh, because that year, in an era where there was open chassis competition, Bobby Rahal, as a favor to his late car owner, Jim Truman, took over the True Sports chassis concept and renamed it the Rahal Oregon RH001. That's Bobby Rahal and co-owner Carl Hogan at the time. It was a flawed chassis, but the feeling was that he could make it work as a three-time champion, an owner-driver, is a top guy in the sport. But the car was just too soft and too spongy to hold on for long, Eddie Cheever cuts a last-minute deal to go drive in another team's car, bumps Ray Hall from the field, and Ray Hall is too slow to bump his then-teammate Kevin Kogan from the field. And Bobby Ray Hall, carrying the number one as the reigning national champion, does not make the race. And that's one of the stories that just goes to show that, like, anything can happen in Indy 500 qualifying. You know, Penske, after dominating the race in 94, both Emerson Fittipaldi and Al Unser Jr. can miss the show because Emerson Fittipaldi falls in love with an anti-roll bar that is so stiff that it slows them <laughs> down. Where James Hinchcliffe thinks that he's got time to make oh. one more run in 2018, he misses the show. Fernando Alonso misses it in 2019 famously because they can't get the test car painted the right shade of orange and they botch the conversion from standard to metric. And now you can add this to the just a list of modern examples of how you can't take anything for granted not even if you're graham ray hall who's finished top three in this race twice and was 
trying to make a 16 star. He spent half of his adult life trying to win this race, racing at this level. And for the first time ever, he's not going to start the biggest race of the season. His dad's bumping is 30. It's the 30th anniversary of Rahul's bump is tomorrow. 30 years almost to the day since Bobby Rahul didn't make the show in 1993. I mean, again, we have a Discord. We watch along with all this. We have we had nearly 20 people watching on our Discord watch as it happened. We yeah. were in shock. Yeah. We we couldn't believe what we just fucking seen. It was <laughs> the difference over 10 miles was 49 centimeters. <laughs> I That's mean I've eaten Subway sandwiches bigger than that. Like, this this was... It is remarkable. Like, again, this is another one in, in to put in the chapter of Bump Day history. And if, if you really want me to go into analytical detail, I think they've been in a hole with ovals for quite some time, probably since the end of last year. I think Texas was... A race where alarm bell should have been ringing, given oh, yeah. Rahul Rahul was taken out by a, a, an already crashed De Francesco, but Harvey and Lungard were three laps down that day in Texas. They were completely off the pace, um, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do the math and figure out that Harvey was five miles an hour slower than the pole time of Alex Pillow. Five Jack Harvey, an hour. Yeah. Jack Harvey made the race with one of the clutchest runs and he did not seem overjoyed and ecstatic to make the race because number one, he just bumped his teammate, someone who took a chance on him to put him in a full-time seat in IndyCar to, to get in. And the second thing is he knows that the team as it is right now is does not have the stuff to win this race unless several acts of God occur. They're going to be starting 30th, 31st, and 33rd in this race. With a man bumped. They had death. They had four of the of the five worst cars in qualifying. There's no getting around that. And like I think the overriding emotion for Harvey was relief more than it was uh -huh. celebrating. I think yeah. it was. And to be fair, like, look, we, we know Jack on a level because we've interviewed him. We've yeah. chatted to him. We've had him Jack's, on the show. We've had him on the show. We, we, we'd be lying if we said we weren't rooting for him because Jack is a, a sound human being, a total nerd, and we and we like him a lot. And we were, we were, we were just as relieved, I think, as he was that he made the show because I cannot exaggerate when I say this. This was probably Jack Harvey's IndyCar career hanging by a thread. He the, This move to RLL has been a, a complete unmitigated disaster. He was fighting for podiums and race wins in Emea Shank two years ago. He was pumping that team up. And look, he's left Emea Shank, and they've been strugglicious ever since. There's no getting around that. Like Helio Castroneves, you know, won the 500, but since then their other results have just not been great. Yeah. Simon Pagano has not worked out, and that's a shame um, for a, a guy who's better than what he's been, what the results show over his over his career. He's gone to RLL. He was arguably the worst full timer in the field pound for pound last year. 
mm-hmm. given the equipment that he had, given the team he was driving for, he was rough last year. 22nd in the championship, and he was 21st again going into this Indy 500 qualifying process. And again, you, you, momentum is an overrated term, but he completely killed his own stock by what happened at the road course race. That was meant to be the one. That was meant to be the round. Because Harvey's podiumed at that road course before with Mayor Shank. This was meant to be the salvage job. And he threw a fourth place in qualifying away. Let's not also forget, RLL has already tested Yuri Vips and Linus Lundqvist since Harvey's joined that team. Yeah. They have Vips. no incentive to keep him on board. Uh, if this, If he didn't make this race... You almost guarantee him. Jack Harvey, you never see him in Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan racing again. And you probably don't see him in IndyCar, if not for the foreseeable future, then ever. They they were testing Vips and, and Lundqvist for a reason. They're testing the waters. You're, you're exploring your options. And let's be real here. As mentioned earlier, IndyCar has had great recent success from F2 stalwarts and graduates of the series and look i think indycar needs to do a much better job about asking questions about questionable people that are coming into their series Mm -hmm. hi santino ferrucci oh look carl larson's coming next year isn't that wonderful and yuri vips look vips had talent i'm not disputing that right like he, if we're talking about Marcus Armstrong getting seats and Lungard getting seats in, in Indy cars and performing at a high level, statistically, purely from a motorsport standpoint, Vips would probably be on that sort of level too. Just go with Linus Lundquist. He's already he got massively, massively screwed over by the prize cut in Indy Nest slash Indy Lights this past year. That man's Based, owed money. Yeah, that man's owed at least half a million bucks. Easy. He should be an IndyCar full-time, and he was robbed. And it's a crying shame that Roger didn't write him a check. He could have done easily, and he chose not to. And I'm disappointed in the series for that because he shouldn't be the victim of upper management's bad decisions, deals collapsing. That shouldn't – if you're all about promoting your younger talent – then you do right by your younger talent. Even when the W series collapsed, it still paid the prize money out to the women involved in the series, even in its final season in 2022. Yeah. I I, I believe that's the right thing to do. Yeah. I know I give you all a hard time for being overly critical about IndyCar or something, but this this is one that I completely understand. Like, I shouldn't have to feel like Miles Rowe has to go out and win every single race he enters just to stay in the road to Indy ladder. And, Among other things. And, and and it's inherently problematic that Rogers had to write him a check twice. Yeah. And I love Miles Rowe and he's immensely talented and I hope he he's he's win- he is winning. He is doing the job that he perf- but you just have to feel like his standard to stay in is just ridiculously high. And what does it say about the rest of the juniors that are trying to do what he's doing when Miles Rowe is getting preferential treatment and getting two checks written for him? It's crazy. It's bad op- it's bad. Like, I love Miles Rowe. It's bad optics. There's no getting around it. Like, and we all know why it's being done. And like, like you're absolutely right. Linus is right there. You could easily put him in that seat right now, and I don't think there'd be too many question marks being offered. Yeah, right now. So, needless to say, on top of all of this, Jack Harvey's career was hanging by a thread here. 
I don't think there's any point in running him for the rest of the season if he gets bumped here. I don't. And he's and he say he saved he might have saved his career with with that one qualifying run at the end. That yeah. was one of the clutchest runs in the history of this speedway. That was remarkable drama. Uh, and yeah. And like I said, I'm glad that Harvey in the in the post qualifier press conference seemed more frustrated than he was happy to have made the show. Mm-hmm. Because it's embarrassing for a team at that level that we're talking about them challenging for uh, elite status in IndyCar has four of its cars and none of them qualified with a two next to their names. It's not good enough for a team it, of that level and that resource. Yeah. It, it, it brings back memories of 2011 when Andretti Autosport was in the mm. same situation. The one driver that guaranteed themselves out of the five that they had a worry-free, stress-free pass into the Indianapolis 500 was a 48-year-old John Andretti who had not run a full-time IndyCar schedule in nearly two decades. Ryan Hunter Ray only started the race because DHL wrote a fat check to AJ Foyn Enterprises to put him in the car after he was bumped in his number 28. Mike Conway, because he did not have a sponsor, missed the 500 about a month after he won the Grand Prix of Long Beach. Marco Andretti bumped Ryan Hunter Ray to get back in, and Danica Patrick was probably the next one on the bubble to be bumped afterwards if there was more time involved. It's that bad. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into some of the underdog stories now, I think, because it's fair. Because it's, 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 a, it's a seamless transition for me because... It's a it's a it's a darn shame because it takes a little bit of the edge off Catherine Legg, who did an unbelievable job to qualify P thirty outright um, and make the show without having to worry about the last chance qualifier. She becomes the fastest woman in the history of the speedway um, with her run, um, it, you know, the fastest ever for a woman has ever achieved around the speedway. And let's not forget. And I don't, I don't, I don't, like, we don't get a chance to hype up Catherine Legg very often on this show, so I'm going to take this opportunity to do so. This is a woman who has... I think she's one of the great what-if stories in IndyCar, given she was collateral when Lotus collapsed in, in IndyCar as a, as a potential third-engine supplier. She's won races in the Atlantic Championship against top-tier opposition. Guy, you know, recognizable names we still talk about now in IndyCar and in North American racing in general. She's the only woman to ever earn an F1 super license. She was incredible at the Rolex when she was spearheading the Delta Wing project. Catherine Legg can fucking wheel a car. She can still wheel a car. She's one of the best drivers in IMSA's GTD class right now. She's phenomenal. She's an incredible woman. My word. And like I said, she was, she's coming to a team in bad straits paid for her own ride, got sponsors during the week itself to even to even boast the bank balance up even further. And she's out-qualified the three full-timers that make up this team. A team that we thought a year and a half ago was going to be a phenomenal team to have Rahul, Lungard, and Harvey together at the same entity. And Lung- and the Catherine Legg has come in and spanked all three of them. With no IndyCar experience in over Ten a decade. Years. The streets will never forget that as good as Danica Patrick was in her prime, 
She was not an Atlantic Championship race winner. Catherine Lagg won three. And it's a damn shame that her champ car career never panned out. It's a shame that her IndyCar career after the merger never panned out. But she's still one of the very best drivers in the series. And I would like to take this opportunity to just admit that going into this weekend, I thought Able Motorsports and RC Anderson were not just going to get bumped. They were going to get bumped by five miles an hour. This entry is barely six weeks old. They have never started in Indy 5, any race at the IndyCar level. They're an Indy Nets team moving up to this for the first time six weeks before the 500 itself. And the last time we saw R.C. Anderson, he was the least competitive entry that got bumped in 2021. Mm -hmm. The top gun entry, which was the commentators themselves are admitting was a slapdash job that the last time he tried to get into this race. Nice livery, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, R.C. Anderson, 29th, one run, got in outright. That's an incredible job for Mabel Motorsports. That is, on six weeks' notice, that's incredible work. Like, that is really, really impressive stuff. Oh, from, yeah. From the Able team to get in, no questions asked. We we were concerned, like I said, I, 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 I'm with RJ 110%. I was right there with him. I thought... Well, well, that, well, that's the guy getting bumped right there when he, when it was announced. I was like, well, everybody else is in. Congratulations. I think I think I may have said on this show like something to the effect of tune into Bump Day when we'll find out which R.C. Anderson gets bumped from the field. <laughs> I can remember the first time I ever came on the show was to talk about his race debut when mm. he was still a teenager with potential. Right. And it never panned out because he only made a handful of IndyCar starts in like the last seven years. But he's in. He's in. This first-year team in this level is in. Crazy stuff. It's a crazy story. And, yeah, well done to R.C. Anderson. He deserves his moment in the sun. Oh, that yeah. Was pound for pound, that that might be the story of the weekend because uh, for the level of resources, for for you know the, the time pressure of being able to get an entry together that quickly and to get in outright is mad impressive. Well done, R.C. Anderson. Well done, everyone at Able Motorsports. Oh, yeah. how, about, how about also... Junkos Hollinger racing, oh, throwing yeah. it back to 2019, making it way more interesting than it had any right to be. Callum Eilat was struggling all throughout practice. On Friday afternoon, they finally decide to change chassis. He only makes his first run, serious run, on Saturday during first round qualifying. His first run is ragged. It's quick, but he cannot hang on to that. He's not quick enough to get in, and on a second run, Bam, he puts it in the show. Shouldn't have to sweat that hard, but he did it, man. Yeah, it was the right decision in the end. And it's it's we were critical of, of Ricardo Junkos for that one. We were like, wow, how the hell have you left it this late? Um, and like Callum summed it up beautifully on Twitter. It was like, I had 12 laps to figure out what everybody else had done in three days. And he got in comfortably. And shout out to his teammate, the most disgustingly humble man in IndyCar, Augustine Canapino, who, again, I hold my hands up. I didn't give a shit about Argentine stock car racing when it was announced he was joining this team. And I thought, how the hell is he in here? Is this a Homer pick? It feels like a Homer pick, given Jinkos' Argentine background. Yeah. Go! I'm kind of messy. I'm kind of messy. I'm kind of messy. I'm kind of messy. 
Go, go, go. Go, go, go. P27 makes it in outright. Wait, wait to go. Way to go, big fella. He is the first Indy 500 driver from Argentina since 1940. Now, you may be wondering, like, haven't there been a handful of Argentine drivers that have done IndyCar before? And you're right. But the problem is, none of them ever attempted the Indianapolis 500. Augustine Canapino has, and he's in the race. And it didn't come without drama, too, because up until this afternoon when we started recording, he probably came the closest to having an actual honest-to-goodness wreck Mm. when he tried to improve his position and then scuffed the outside wall at turn two, bent the suspension out. Thankfully, not a crash. But, you know, today we did have our first wreck. Mm. Stephen Wilson and Catherine Legg got together. Leg walked away. Wilson was taken to hospital. He's in good spirits. He's generally fine, but damn. He's that was over. Yeah. That that it was just like a reminder that like with as fast as speeds that we're going, like there is imminent risk in this. One hundred percent. And he gave the he gave the crowd the thumbs up as he was being carted into the ambulance, which is normally a good sign that he's okay. Um, but you know, once you hear about neck or back, you take no chances. You get him in oh, the yeah. stretcher, you get him in the brace, and you make sure he's okay. And it seems like he's okay. Hopefully, I hope so. Hopefully, this was just an abundance of caution more than anything else. Um, and of course, best wishes to Stefan. He's again one of the real genuinely good people in this sport and um you know has done many a noble act during this race um and you know it's 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 uh it's 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 very very easy to root for anyone with the surname wilson because the man drives like a badass and we miss justin very much and oh yeah it's easy he's a very very easy man to root for so let's hope the big fella's okay Hey gang, uh, Dre Harrison here from the future. Um, this is from the post-production bench as we edit this. Some news has dropped since the time of recording. Unfortunately, uh, we found out about two hours after this episode was filmed that uh, that sadly Stefan Wilson will be unable to take part in the Indianapolis 500 this weekend. Turns out um, that crash had more lasting consequences than we'd hoped. He is broken one of his vertebra in that incident relatively speaking he's fine he's recovering well in hospital um nothing life-threatening but sadly unable to compete this weekend and since then it's been announced for drea reinebold racing that uh amazingly graham rahal is back in the indy 500 he will drive the 24 car this weekend with the wilson family's blessing this weekend in the indy 500 so after all the talk and all the hype and uh, all the shock of graham rahal being bumped from the 500 he is back in as an injury reserve for the number 24 car amazing how these things turn out anyway back to the show can i mention one other underdog story nick I got a couple. I got a couple. Crack on. <laughs> um, I think. I think we need to talk about AJ Foyt Racing as a legitimate contender for an Indy 500 win for the first time since the dearth of the split. Kenny Brack was the last person to do it in 1999. Mm. You know, we can't stand the little shit, but Santino Ferrucci is never unspectacular around this race, and now with Michael Cannon as strategist, I don't know what AJ Foyt Racing was cooking in terms of their oval program. My dude was second fastest in top 12 qualifying and just qualified in the second row of the race. That is worrying enough. 
Benjamin Peterson, a man that we thought was unfit for purpose as an IndyCar driver after one lap of the IndyCar season, <laughs> was the fastest rookie in 11th. Yeah. I, 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 what was Foyt cooking this whole time? Was uh, anybody? Um, look, Santino Ferrucci is a little bastard, okay? <laughs> His talent was never the issue. The man can drive, especially yeah. on an oval. He's an excellent oval racer. It's, a, str- it's a strange thing because he grew up racing road courses and being like, I don't want to race NASCAR. That's beneath me. It's weird because it's like, yeah, you're right. His, his, his background is your classic European junior ladder road course run. And he took to ovals like a duck to water. It's incredible um, that, you know, he's able, he's been able to turn a wheel to it. And look, 233.6 is an incredible run by any stretch of the imagination. If anything, you we are probably critical for them taking too much downforce out of their car during their final fast six run. Because on overall trap speed in practice, Benjamin Pedersen had a 235 mile an hour lap with no toe involved. That car was quick. That car was pole setting level quick. Like, and, and shout out to Benjamin Pedersen alongside him because Pedersen, I hadn't even heard a Benjamin Pedersen interview from his time in IndyCar until this weekend. I was like, oh, so that's what Benjamin Pedersen sounds like. Lovely. Seems like a nice chap. And uh, like again, he's he, this is a guy that had been written off as damaged goods. And he, look, he has struggled on the road and street courses so far. There's no doubt about that. But to qualify P11 for Foyt, in a sandwich between two 500 race winners on either side and Marcus Erickson and Will Power is a very, very impressive job. Ahead of Scott McLaughlin, ahead of Joseph Newgarden, ahead of Roman Grosjean and Cole Herta. Elio Castroneves. Simon Pagino. Wow. Yeah, it is a... It is a wild one. I mean, I have not seen a pulse like this out of AJ Foyt racing in a hot minute. Yeah, and uh, a hell of a time for it to happen as well. Because I know, I know that family is going through some shit right now. So, anything to put a smile on the old man's face is uh, is is nice right now more than anything else. Before we get out of here, RJ, are you going to change your pick? Remind me, who did, who did I pick? Did I did I go with my did I go with my gut feeling that this is going to be Joseph Newgarden's year to finally get his name off the list of old guys without a board <laughs> Warner Trophy? Now I know Graham Ray Hall can't do it this year. It's him. It's Ed Carpenter. It's Marco Andretti. You'd think this would be because the Indy Five Hundred is not a race that's always won for pole. Like if it was, like. You know, it might as well just be Monaco. Only one pole sitter out of the last 13 has won the 500. And that was Simo. We both we both picked Palo Award. Uh, Thanks, Jason. So we so I did not pick uh, Joseph Newgarden to win this race. You, you know what? Did, you, you didn't go full Hobo with it. Uh, I didn't. I'm impressed. Um, <laughs> I'm Cactus thinking can't hit pull low, but he's looking very comfortable right about yeah. now. Uh, so do I say so do I snipe Cam's pick in his absence? Nah, I wouldn't do that. I have to stick with my guns. I think Paddle Ward has the horsepower, and he's not gonna make a business decision for himself because the only business decision that he's gonna make is the one that wins of the Indianapolis 500. 
He's desperate. He he's not. He should have won two races this year, and he's got none. And he knows that he probably regrets not going for that finals lap send last year. I completely understand the polo, the uh, the the Pado Award pick. I am so tempted to go with Felix Rosenquist. I've got a feeling about uh, King Felix. The most prominent King Felix moments in his perfect game as a Seattle Mariner. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a hunch about Felix. I just, the problem is, is that he's not been a predominantly good oval guy since he got to IndyCar. He's had a couple was, of good it, days. It but... was crazy. Like when he was in Indy Lights, he was never a prolific oval guy. But he's no. just been getting better and better and better at it. Mm. Renus VK is right there in second as well. He's never been able to put together a really big 500 race. His qualifying is off the charts. He's, 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 he is he is desperate to not be the forgotten man in this IndyCar youth movement because mm. the way he struggled this year, the way that he has faded after months of May in recent years, like yeah. he is a genuine risk of being the forgotten man, which is strange to think about because we know how quick this dude is. We've barely even mentioned Scott Dixon. Who's right there on row two? <laughs> We've barely mentioned Pato Award. Who is this? Is the best five hundred star? I'm sticking with Pato. I'm sticking with Pato. I don't know what y'all are talking about. I'm sticking with him. <laughs> Alex Rossi is right there on row three. It's Tony Canaan's three hundred and eighty-eight from final start. <laughs> we think probably his final start next weekend. And Tony Canaan finished third last year. <laughs> like Takuma has always got a shot. <laughs> like. There's so many dudes who could win this race. Like the reigning champion is starting tenth, only tenth, only tenth, and his his top end speed is great, but his, he couldn't keep his tires fresh. Roman Grosjean and Colton Herta. Grosjean's desperate to win any race. You think Colton Herta wants to be the hard luck guy who can never win the Indianapolis 500? I'm not sure he can do it with Andretti. Andretti just uh, just mid at the moment. Kyle Kirkwood was their best qualifier in fifteenth. That's strange to say. This was the perennial best team in the Indianapolis 500. It's not 2011 bad, but it's not at the heights they once were either. It I don't know, a, man. It is a tall glass of mid. I'm going to stick with Pado Award as well. I think it's only fair. I stick to my guns on this one. We're both banking on look, look, Pado. If you win this race, I will buy the McLaren <laughs> F1 GTR diecast with your name on it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I will go to your shop and buy that diecast. I know you're a big merch guy, Pado. He probably is the most popular man in the series now. <laughs> I will buy that diecast. It's, it's a beautiful livery. I do love that McLaren oh, F1 yeah. GTR. Look, we it's all like make fun much. of the fact that uh, we all make fun of what Tokyo Ueno Clinic is. If you know, you know. But <laughs> that car <laughs> looks so good. <laughs> it does. It does. Like, look, look. Zach Brown is every marketer you've ever you seen. You gotta in your life. hand it to him. You just gotta. You just gotta. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. We can cut this out here. <laughs> I might just keep this. I might just keep this in. RJ has left the room. I'll, 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 I'll put this in as a full disclaimer. He, uh, he's running to grab something in his living room. Hang on a minute. Stay with me, people. Stay with me. He's getting a die cast. I'm almost certain of it. I oh, have got the, the bucket hat. I have got I have got the merchandise that tells you that I believe in the Zach Brown process. 
Can I just say I love the fringe you've suddenly grown? I think it's I think it's very cute. <laughs> because we are recording this with a visual medium and uh, like the hat has just gone straight over the top. It's beautiful. Like I said, Zach Brown is every marketer you've ever heard or seen. He's very good at it. It works. Annoyingly. We're both gonna stick with Pado Award. May the good Lord help us all. Let's hope all 33 people get back home safely next week um, more than anything else. And we'll be back next week to talk about Day of Classics weekend because we've got the Monaco Grand Prix this weekend. Did I mention that rain is forecast for that weekend? Just thought I'd point that one out. Um, the Monaco Grand Prix th- next weekend in Formula One and, of course, the 107th running of the Indy 500. Will it be Alex Polo's year? Will Renus VK do it for the youth movement? Will it be King Felix? Could it be the Ramen Head? Pado Award? Could it be Dixon? Could it be Kanan? The fairy tale ending to a legendary career. Will Takuma make it a hat trick? Will the angry man Alex Rossi get a second Rossi? Can Marcus Ericsson defend the crown? There are so many names that could potentially win this thing, and that's what makes... The greatest spectacle in racing, so great. Can't wait. Until then, I've been Dre Harrison. He's been RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for, for listening, or in some cases, watching along. I can actually say that for once without, without being a blooper. Until then, sayonara. Later, y'all.